Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. If you'll take your scriptures in hand and uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 41, we're going to be reading verses 54 through 57 in just a moment. We're continuing our series, Advancing Through Adversity, and today's message is titled, A New Start. And sometimes after we've gone through difficulty and trial, what we need is a new start. Amen? But uh, I was watching America's Got Talent. Anybody ever watch America's Got Talent? Amen? Yeah. And one of the f- performers, you know, they sometimes, you know, before they perform, they have them give a little uh, story about themselves or whatever and so one of the uh, performers talked about how when they were a teenager they were ridiculed and they were bullied but now they were in one of the final rounds they were very talented they were in one of the final rounds of AGT and as they told their story one of the coaches said something along the lines of well if those people could just see you now you are on one of the world's biggest stages and they wouldn't be laughing or mocking you anymore because you have already made it. Because they knew at this point the person was already going to be a success. They were, even if they didn't become the, the, the top pick, they were going to already get a recording contract or whatever. But I was reminded of that story when I was reflecting on the life of Joseph and how after his brothers had sold him into slavery, he rose from the pit eventually to the palace wearing his royal robes, his chain of gold, and his crown in in Pharaoh's palace, second in command. Did Joseph ever think to himself, I wish my brothers could only see me now? Well, he wouldn't have to wonder too long because the day would come when just like the dream God gave him as a young 17-year-old, his brothers would come and they would bow before him. Joseph's rise to power came after God enabled him to interpret a troublesome dream for Pharaoh. And uh, the dream was about seven years of abundance and seven years of famine that would eat up uh, all of those seven years of abundance. And God gave him a wise plan to conserve during the seven years of abundance to provide for those seven years of famine. Let's read in Genesis 41 verses 54 through 57. Then the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well, and when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. That's when Joseph's father sends his 10 older brothers to Egypt in order to buy grain. They just can't hold out any longer. The famine is so severe that they have to go to Egypt to buy grain. And of course, guess who's in charge of selling grain? Joseph. So they had to come to Joseph and they had to bow down before Joseph. Now, he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Remember, it's probably been, let's say, 21 years, because by the time the seven years of abundance are added on to the 14 years that he was um, in process, (laughs) 
<laughs> of the pit and prison and all that. So it, it's been a long time since they've seen him. And now he's all garbed up like an Egyptian, you know, the black uh, charcoal lines around the eyes and the he head probably shaved and the crown. And so they're assuming he's Egyptian. So they don't recognize him, but he recognized them. And in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And he remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. So here his brothers are bowing down to him. And there comes the recollection of the dreams God had given him. The scripture says that Joseph spoke harshly to them and accused them of being spies. What's going on? That sounds so unlike this godly man we've been looking at. But you know what? And we'll see this a little bit more in depth. This was a test he was about to put them through. God was about to use him to put them through to see if they were truly repentant over what they had done to Joseph so many years ago. And so when he speaks to them harshly, they plead with him in verse 13 of chapter 42. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. So you know what Joseph does? He puts them all in prison. And after three days, we read in verses 19 through 20, if you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring back your youngest brother to me. This will prove that you're telling the truth and you will not die. To this they agreed. Then we skip to verse 21. Speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we are now in this trouble. Now, they didn't realize that Joseph could understand everything they were saying because he was using an interpreter and he was speaking to them in, in the Egyptian language. So um, they, don't they don't realize that he can understand their language and it says that Joseph turned away to weep. So they decided among themselves that Simeon would stay in prison in Egypt until they returned. And Joseph gave the order for their bags to be filled with grain and for their money to be placed back in the sacks. On their way home, they discover the money. And in verse 28, it says, My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. And they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? Now we will also be accused of being thieves. So they're getting really fearful now. And they go back to their father and they tell them what's happened. And he's upset. And he said, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin too? No way. He's not going with you. And this is some serious family drama that's going on. And they're experiencing a lot of emotional pain here because, you know, the, the loss of Joseph had left a scar through all of those years. And when we read this chapter in Joseph's story, at first his actions seem cruel. His, his actions seem vengeful. His actions seem out of character. And you might wonder, is this Joseph taking advantage of their desperate need for food in order to take revenge on them? But something much more important is taking place. Just reflect on the question 
The brothers ask when they find the money in their sacks, what is this that God has done to us? See, what's happening is God is dealing with their hearts. They are feeling guilt. Remember when, 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 when he first tells them, you have to leave Simeon behind, they said, all of this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph. And now when they find the money in their sacks, they're like, you know, why is God doing this to us? So what's happening is that God is dealing with their hearts and they're feeling guilt over what they had done to Joseph so many years before. And now they believe that what is happening to them at this moment is God's judgment on them. In chapter 43, after a lengthy passage of time, possibly as much as two years, the food supply of Jacob's family runs out again. So the grain they took back is now depleted and now they have to return to Egypt because there's no grain anywhere, or else they'll face starvation. So Judah, remember him, he's the brother who suggested that they sell Joseph to slave traders. He begs his father to allow Benjamin to go with them to Egypt. And before they all die of starvation, they they plead with their father, saying that he could hold him personally responsible to bring Benjamin back safely. And so they go, and when the brothers are set to leave, Joseph really tests them. He orders the money to be put back in their bags along with his own silver drinking cup in Benjamin's sack. And now remember... Joseph and Benjamin were the two youngest sons, and they were from the favored wife. So Joseph, in in his father's mind, is already dead, and so Benjamin is what he's holding on to, and now the cup of Joseph is placed in Benjamin's sack. And after they leave, Joseph orders that they be stopped and searched. And they protest their innocence, pointing to the fact that they returned the money that was in their sacks the first time around. So sure are they of their innocence that they make a rash promise that if any of them is found to have the cup, that that he will die and the rest of them will become Joseph's slaves. So they're brought before Joseph, and this is where the final act of redemption takes place. I'm going to read just one more excerpt from the story of Joseph in chapter 44, verses 33 through 34. Judah pleads, So please, my Lord... Let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Because remember, they've already witnessed the anguish that they caused the father when he thought that Joseph was dead. And so he said, I can't bear to see him lose his son. So this time, Judah, who was willing to make a profit off of the sale of his brother into slavery, now he is so heartbroken that he's willing to give his own life in exchange for his brother Benjamin's life. That's a big heart change, folks. So Joseph wasn't doing this to get even. He wasn't doing it to make them squirm and suffer. But he was really trying to determine if his brothers had changed, were they truly repentant over what they had done to him when they sold him into slavery? And we learn later in the story that Joseph had a plan. 
to share his blessings the moment he had laid eyes on them. But he had to know if they were changed before he brought them down to Egypt to live with him. Because, you know, we've been talking about toxic people, right? <laughs> you don't want to bring toxic people into your close circle unless you know that they have truly uh, uh, changed. So, uh, but beside this, Joseph unknowingly was being used by a loving God to bring these men relief from the guilt that they had carried for 20-some years. God was using Joseph to bring these men face to face with their past and give them a chance to make it right. See, our loving God does this so often. He allows us to encounter uh, the very situations that are weighing on our conscience, the very people to whom uh, we once did wrong or to whom we owed a debt. And we sometimes just dismiss those encounters with the old phrase, well, what goes around comes around. But actually, God, in his loving justice, is giving us a chance to learn. He's giving us a chance to do right. He's giving us a chance to change, to gain release from the guilt of the debts that we have piled up so that we can be set free, so that we can be made whole, so that we can have a fresh start, a new start. And Joseph's story teaches us several important principles for how we can have a new start. The first thing I want us to see is regret over the past keeps us bound by guilt and condemnation. Regret over the past keeps us bound by guilt and condemnation. And I think that most everybody has some regrets over things that we have done or failed to do in the past. Many people are actually mentally distressed and troubled because they're carrying a load of unresolved issues from the past. There is no debt so great as the debt of sin and no burden so heavy as the guilt of the wrong that we have done to others. Imagine the emotional state of Joseph's brothers as the story is unfolding. And it was like two years between the time they first arrived in Egypt looking for food and the time when Joseph finally reveals himself as their long lost brother. And all this time, they are carrying this weight of this terrible thing is happening to us because of what we did to our brother. This is God's judgment on us because of what we did to Joseph. They're carrying that weight for these two years, racked with guilt, walking in condemnation. They're paranoid with fear, believing that, that they deserve God's judgment because of what they've done. And, and they're confused about all that's happening. Unconfessed sin and unresolved guilt does that to a person. It distresses a person. It takes an emotional toll on a person. Let's start by talking about our debts to other people, the things we've done against other people. They're very important and they must be dealt with. For a time, we might be able to use people and discard them, hurt people and forget about it and move on without feeling much distress or pain. But as, as Long as life is full of activity and the excitement of youth, our sins against others don't trouble us too much, right? When we're young, we can, you know, we just cast people to the side. We do what, you know, and, and we're active and we're doing and, and, and we forget about. We rem may remember hurtful things we said or did to others, but we quick, quickly dismiss the pangs of conscience. But the debt keeps piling up over time. Guilt collects a high rate of interest 
and it is compounded daily. Compounded daily. Then we arrive at midlife, and by this time, we have been used and misused and hurt many times over. And now life is beginning to slow down, and we have been on the receiving end of pain. We understand what that feels like, and maturity is bringing more reflection and appreciation of the value of relationships in our life. And so guilt may begin to haunt us over hurts that we caused, relationships that were broken because of something we said or did, and it was cast to the side. Memories that we thought we had buried begin to fill our dreams, and, and we begin to experience anger and, and confusion and fear and guilt. All of that because of unresolved relational issues. And our response when we're confronted with our past determines our future. Our response makes all the difference. Some may choose to drown their sorrows and drink their pain away. They, they start by just taking a drink after work to unwind, but they're still drinking at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Maybe alcohol doesn't appeal to you. Uh, 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 it, that, that type of life may seem dysfunctional to you. Well, then how about a prescription? In our drug-filled society, it's completely acceptable to get a chemical to enable us to sleep or to calm our anxiety. So we talk to our doctor and we ask for a script for Ambien, Lorazepam, or Trazolam. Now don't hear me condemning the use of prescribed medications at all. That's not my point. But if that prescription is a way of avoiding painful debts over hurts that we have caused in the past, then that's not going to be the answer because that cannot set your soul free. Of course, there's other ways of temporarily covering the scream of guilt in our mind. Some people may turn uh, to overeating. Some people may become workaholics, so they never have time to stop and think. Some get religious, and they pretend they're better than everybody else, super spiritual. Or some find a list of excuses for their behaviors and blame everybody else for their actions. Others just choose to ignore the pain, bury it deep, and hope that with time it will eventually go away. But time will not erase the guilt of our past. In fact, the passage of time will likely increase the pain, even possibly causing physical symptoms and real illnesses in our body. Time alone does not remove the guilt of our past. And we see that with Joseph's brothers. Some 21 years have passed and that guilt is eating away inside of them. So the smallest thing happens, and they say, this is because of what we did to Joseph, that guilt very much alive inside of them. David wrote about the cost of guilt that finds no release in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. He said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. That guilt was just heavy upon David, eating away at his soul. And, and, and who knows how Joseph's brothers coped with their guilt for more than 20 years. But we know this, that when life got tough, they felt the sting of conscience. 
that was right beneath the surface there that said this is happening because of what we did to Joseph. In Genesis 42, 21, speaking among themselves, they said clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. This, these, these brothers are racked with guilt and that crisis just brings it to the surface. So sometimes, you know, we, we stuff that guilt down. But when problems come, do we feel condemned by God? Do we feel we are being punished by God for something we did in our past? If we did, if we feel that way, then there is something likely unresolved in our past because there is no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if we're walking under that guilt of condemnation, it is likely a red flag that there is some unresolved guilt there um, in our lives. Now, the second thing uh, principle we see is relief only comes through repentance and restitution. Repentance begins when we accept responsibility for our actions. One of the hardest steps in life to take is to look at yourself in the mirror and admit to your own sinfulness. Admit to the fact that, that you have done things that have hurt others, that you have broken the heart of God, that you have caused pain in the lives of others. That's one of the hardest things to do. Ezekiel 18, verses 27 through 32, it says, 27, 31, and 32, it says, But if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and done, does what is just and right, he will save his life. Verse 31, rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Verse 32, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God is saying, you know what? I don't delight in bringing judgment on anybody. And you don't need to walk under the fear of judgment. If you'll just repent, take responsibility for your actions, turn away from it, confess them before me, and receive my forgiveness, you can have a new heart. You can have a new spirit. You can have a new start. And that's what God wants for all of us. But beyond repentance, God also calls us to restitution. Restitution is an important part of the restoration process. Why? Because restitution adds believability to our repentance because restitution is tangible. What do I mean? Somebody can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and they can keep doing the wrong over and over and over again. But when somebody repents and they're genuine, they will take actions to remedy whatever wrong that they have done. And those actions become an evident proof that, hey, this person is genuine in their repentance. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, because it's easy. Words, words are easy, right, to say I'm sorry. But, but it, it, it takes a, a deeper level of commitment to actually show that we're sorry for what we did by taking actions to make right the wrongs that we committed. Am I right? All right. So when we've wronged someone, we need to ask ourselves, what steps can I take to make this right? What steps can I take to make this right? Is there anything that I can do that will show the genuineness and the depth of sorrow that I feel over the wrongs that I have done in the past? Judah's restitution was indirect, but it was nonetheless genuine. He, in the past, came up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. 
But his restitution comes when, first of all, he has no idea that he's standing before his brother that he's so deeply wronged years before. But when Benjamin is now threatened, what does, what does Judah do? He offers himself as a lifelong slave, an act of restitution. What did he do? He had sold Joseph into slavery. But now he offers himself to become a lifelong slave in order to spare the life of Benjamin. So in a sense, it was an action of restitution that showed, even though the restitution wasn't directly to Joseph, but it was an action of making right the wrong he had done in the past by now stepping in to spare the life of another brother. So restitution evidences the reality of our repentance. For instance, you borrow $10,000 from a friend, and you say, I'm going to pay you back. And five years pass, and you haven't paid them back, and it causes a breach in the relationship. God starts dealing with your heart, and you go to your friend, and you say, I'm really sorry that I didn't pay you back that $5,000. Those words are all well and due and good. But where's my $5,000? Hello? Because the proof that you're really repentant is going, you're going to take actions to make right the wrong that you've done. Are you following me? Does that make sense to you? Amen? So restitution is an important part of that restoration process that God calls us to. Remember this. There are debts in our lives that sometimes cannot be settled. Why? Maybe the person that we wronged has died. Maybe distance has made restitution impossible or difficult. Or maybe there are simply too many people to contact, to make right, to take steps of restitution. God knows when it's not possible, but God knows when it is possible. Hello? And when it's not possible, God can forgive and restore in those cases. But God also knows when restitution is possible. And in the scripture, he calls us to take steps to make it right. Amen. Have you noticed something that if you are familiar with the uh, AA program for Alcoholics Anonymous, right? It was initially started as a Christian program. Each of the 10 steps is based on scripture. And one of the steps is called making amends and you have to go back to everybody that you have wronged repent ask their forgiveness and take steps to make right whatever wrong that you did and they they recognize and this is an international program that has helped so many people be free from from alcohol they recognize that one of the things that keep people bound to medicate themselves with alcohol is all of those unresolved debts that bind us with guilt to the past. And so making amends is a part of the process of freedom and deliverance and healing and restoration. Why? Because that program is based on scripture. And guess what? Scripture works. Scripture is true. That's why millions of people all around the world have gone through that program and they have found freedom. Because the Bible works. And if we want freedom, if we want healing, if we want restoration, we need to make restitution if there's anything in our past that we need to make right. Now, the third principle, receiving the gift of God's grace brings 
freedom and healing. One of the most distressing realizations for any human being is the realization of sin. When Adam and Eve realized that they had sinned, the scripture tells us that they, uh, they ran and they hid from God. Why? Because they were afraid of God's judgment. They knew they had done wrong. And likewise, when we come to understand the holiness of God and our inability to meet his standard of holiness, generally what do we do? We run and hide. That's why so many people are running from God, right? You, you try to minister to them. You try to witness to them. Oh, no, I can't step in, in a church. The ceiling would cave in or something like that. You know, because why? They're running from God because they know they got some junk in their life, right? They, they know that they have sin. But there truly is nowhere to hide from God's gaze. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go into the heavens, you're there. If I descend to the depths, you're there. And what he said, there's no place to hide from you, God. As with our wrongs against other people in dealing with God, repentance is the first step. But to repent means to change direction. And so we turn from our sinful actions and we turn to God. Instead of running away from God, we turn to God. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Amen? So we turn to God and we confess, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Because confessing is owning up to our actions and assigning to them the same value that God does. The Greek word to confess means to speak the same thing as. And so we come into agreement with God about our sins, about how terrible they are. We, we, we come into agreement with God and we say the same thing that God does about our sin. So confession is seeing our life and our actions as God sees them. And, and this can be a terrifying experience, but it doesn't need to be. Why? Because our confession releases the grace of God to cleanse us from sin. The response of faith to his offer of forgiveness allows you and allows me to enter into the covenant of grace and receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. Amen. Now, restitution is not required with God. Why? I mean, in regard to our relationship with God. It's requ required in regard to our relationships with others, but not in regard to God. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for our sin. He made restitution on our behalf for the debt of our sin. But for those we wrong here on earth, there is still a debt to be settled there or a wrong to be made right. Joseph's brothers were racked with guilt. They didn't know how to make the deeds of 20 years before right. And in fact, they could not give Joseph back all of those years that had been stolen from him. But you know what? When Joseph saw that there was genuine repentance because there were acts of restitution, Joseph extended grace to them. Amen? He forgave them. Now, Joseph had the power to have ordered them to be killed the moment he first laid eyes on them. That's how much power he had. <clears throat> or he might have tormented them. Throwing them in prison, making them suffer in prison for years like he had suffered in prison. But instead, he gave them an opportunity for repentance. He gave them an opportunity for restitution. And when he saw their genuine change of heart, he gave them grace. 
he forgave them and offered full release from the guilt, the debt of guilt that they had. And, you know, maybe you're like Joseph's brothers. You're, you're dragging around an unresolved burden of guilt from your past. How about choosing today to start letting it go? Is, is your life confused and your mind cluttered with memories of unresolved wrongs of the past that you kind of just push down because you say, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't even know how to make that right. And you just kind of try to forget it. The first step is to repent. Take responsibility and ask forgiveness before God and ask forgiveness to whoever you wronged where it is possible. And then turn around and start down a new road. Go and make it right if it's possible. Even, even, that, even if that other person had a part to do with whatever wrong happened or the breach in the relationship, that's their problem. You don't have to deal with that. Own your part and make it right on your part. You understand what I'm saying? Let, God, let them deal with God on whatever part they played in it, but own your part and take whatever steps may be needed in order to make that right. When we do, we can find freedom and we can find restoration in the Lord. So I'm gonna ask you right now, if you will, just to take a moment and bow your heads right where you are and let God speak to you about any wrongs that maybe you have done in the past to someone that, that you still carry the weight of that guilt in your life. Maybe you, you've kind of stuffed it down and tried to forget it, and you think, it, it, it's so many years ago, why bother rehash it? But even if it was 21 plus years as it was for Joseph's brothers, if that is unresolved in your heart, it is still there and it still affects you just like it affects, affected them. So let God bring that to your awareness, and as he does, would you be willing to surrender it to him first through repentance and owning your part in whatever that wrong was and asking God to forgive you? And then if it is possible, taking steps in the next day or two to reach out to that person and try to you know, repent before them and, and try to make things right with them where possible. Just take a moment and let God deal with your heart. Heavenly Father, we just humble ourselves before you. You know us better than we know ourselves. There are things hidden deep down in the recesses of our heart that we have just stuffed there from years ago, tried to forget it, act as if it didn't affect us anymore. But you know the things that still affect us. And Lord, you're giving opportunity to us tonight, just like you gave opportunity to Joseph's brothers, to be free from the chains of that guilt over our past wrongs. Father, right now, as you bring any of those wrongs to our mind, we take this opportunity to place them at your feet and repent of them and say, Lord, we're wrong. Lord, maybe we treated someone wrongly, maybe we spoke wrongly to someone, did wrong to somebody. And Lord, as you make us aware of that, we say, Lord, forgive us, cleanse us, Lord God. And Father, we pray that you would help us to take the next steps, Lord God, to, to try to seek to make amends with whoever we have wronged, Lord God, where it is possible. 
And we pray even now that you would prepare the hearts of those that we would speak to. Father, let this word and your spirit continue to minister to our hearts long after the service has concluded. Bless your people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We love you, new life. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you on Sunday. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.